listening to the Necropolis podcast, which is associated with hessianfirm.com and hatemeditations.com. Welcome to Necropolis. This is Jason, also known as Lone Goat from Goatcraft. Another cool episode for you guys today. Um, so we do have Shelly returning from hatemeditations.com. He is the official co-host still, so we haven't scared him off yet. Um, so uh, first of all, I want to thank Shelly for coming back, and he is with a new microphone today. Hello, yeah. Hopefully my voice is sounding rich and smooth today on my new mic. First time being used. <laughs> yep, you're the English Barry White. Very smooth and romantic. <laughs> And uh, today we're doing a, a feature on a local band here in San Antonio called Hyde. Um, of course, everyone in Texas know who, knows who Hyde is. They played out at least a thousand freaking times. And uh, they, they, they share a lot of guys that are very prominent in the Texas metal scene. So we do have two guests today. One is, has already joined and the other might be joining later, depending on his schedule. He's, you know, he might chime in, but uh, understand that, uh, Beer is a little busy, so Beer may be joining in while we're chatting today, and he is more than welcome to because he is the vocalist of Hod. But we have the main acts of Hod today, the guy who formed the band. We have Carl. So I want to thank you very much for coming on the program, Carl. Hey, what's up, Jason? What's up, Shelly? No problem, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, so just a little history. Uh, definitely known this guy for a really fucking long time, so... Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I've known him since I was 18, right when I moved down to San Antonio from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and uh, I had, uh, I remember, like, I was just so blown away, because first I had met you, and then uh, I met Blackthorn, Alex from Thorn uh -huh. Swan, and at uh, uh, Sam Spurgers joint, I believe, and uh, I guess I was like a usual hangout for him, and, uh, and you guys had, you know, done the Sacrifice of Nazarene Child Fest there a few times, but, uh, you know, a little 18 year old coming in, I had already heard of Thorn Spawn before I had met you guys, too. Um, I had pirated all the stuff online back when I was like, 16 <laughs> or 17. Nice. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I was just really blown away and uh, just kind of stayed in touch with you guys. I remember uh, you guys had opened for Deicide one time. Um, I guess it was at the old, was it at the White Rabbit? It was at one of the venues, the bigger ones here in San Antonio. Yeah. You know, I think that one was, um, it might have been White, White Rabbit or um, that Club Nocturne that used to be next to Daddy's. It's one of the two. I can't remember exactly which place it was. Yeah, but but the, the greatest memory of that show I remember is that, um, you know, I was still really young. And I was still kind of blown away just by knowing you guys. And then uh, you had invited me backstage just to hang out. And I was like, fuck yeah. I'm like, you know, hanging backstage where, you know, DSI was, you know, adding all that. And it was really, really cool. Just, you know, a little, you know, guy just really, really hungry for metal. And, you know, you guys gave me the full experience. I remember lugging a keyboard along one time into your practice space. And well, yeah, I remember we, we were um, spurring me with the idea of having a, a keyboard. It's in the band. You were um, the choice at the time. Yeah, oh, I remember yeah. that. It was, well, we only did it one time, and I was like, no, this isn't really working with your Yeah, it, did, it didn't work from what we were just so violent and brutal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe like B. Herit style, maybe just holding down one note for like 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, it would have worked. That would work. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so a lot of history with these guys. Um, and of course, you know, Beer, if he joins today, um, I know Beer, he worked at Hogwild for the longest time, and I remember buying shirts off him and all that, and uh 
that's how and, I met him um, in Hogwild. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely a staple of Hogwild. And well, it's really cool about Hogwild here, which is a a record store which has a, its own aisle for metal. Um, so there's like three three main aisles of CDs in the in the uh, the record shop, and one is dedicated just to like metal and shit. So it's you know they, they have like mainly metal shirts displayed in there, and it's always yeah, metal is like their main main seller to this day, from what I understand. Yeah, and you know it's, it's always been a great staple here in San Antonio. And the the the, uh, the great thing about Hogwild, you know, beyond just specializing in metal, is that it's right across from SAC, uh, San Antonio College. So yeah. you get all the college kids mm-hmm. going in there all the time, you know, looking at the flyers of the shows coming up, and you know all the metal that's there. And then beer for the longest time was behind the counter, you know, just talking to people and spreading words about shows and all that. And it was a really cool dynamic that we had here for the longest time. Um, it looks like hog wild is back open now. And, uh, but Ooh. unfortunately beer is no longer. Yeah. That's a shame. Hog wild. Uh, let's see. Did he just join? Yes, I think he did. So we do. Oh, you were the one going boo. <laughs> So we do have beer on today, and we are live streaming. Skynet. Yeah, Skynet. <laughs> so I already gave the introduction. So let me give a, a little bit more of an introduction for beer, and we shall begin a little bit I'm more naked. depth of the interview. But like we were saying, beer, he has been working at Hogwild forever. So everyone in San Antonio knew this guy because, you know, in metal scene, because it was at the main record shop here as well as uh, just really being a prominent figure. He was a promoter here. He's done a lot of shows. You know, I can't count how many shows I've been to that beer is booked. Of course, you know, me playing them too, Goocraft. Um, just all around great guy. And it had become really good friends with this guy over Liar. the years. And uh, I remember one time we went to uh, the San Antonio Symphony and we watched Schubert's Eighth Symphony. And that was just really funny, just dragging your ass in there, you know, in this really formal setting. <laughs> and you enjoyed it. It was really cool. But uh, I'm just glad when we ordered the drink, she said, I got this round because those four drinks turned out to be 56 bucks. And I was like, fuck that. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing about uh, the symphony and really expensive drinks, but you're allowed to take them into the the area where, you know, the, the orchestra is and all that, which is really cool. Some symphonies do not allow that. So what I would always do is I'll grab three or four beers, walk down there, sit in the orchestra pit and just fucking get wasted while I'm watching, you know, whatever I'm there for. Um, but yeah, um, great guy, beer. I've you know long known for a very long time. I can vouch for him. Um, really, he's he's I, i've shown like girlfriends and stuff beer like i'll be at a show i'm like hey this is my friend beer and they're always like scared shitless because he's all tattooed long hair tall and you know very burly at the average beard <laughs> and uh, but, standard metal head <laughs> yeah but uh you know, he, yeah i guess he looked intimidating to them but uh <laughs> but he's the nicest guy on the planet like he's a nerd like he's in lord of the rings and Conan the Barbarian. He's into that wrestling. Mick Foley refers to it lot R. Yeah, yeah, lot R. Yeah, I was, I was, maybe <laughs> maybe someday I'll share that video um, that Mick Foley did for you. <laughs> you can share it. But yeah, that was great. Um, but yeah, uh, all around, I, I really love these guys in Hod. They're they're like, if you talk about the San Antonio metal scene, of course, like if you want to talk about the old days, it'll be. Uh, S.A. Slayer, which Shelly has no idea what S.A. Slayer is. Um, so S.A. Slayer is San Antonio Slayer. Um, and they actually uh, started out just being called Slayer. 
but they got in a fight with the other band named Slayer. And I think they did like a dueling show, like they put like both Slayers on the same show, correct? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah, we know which Slayer won out with that. But uh um, dude, <laughs> I, I'm so old. I um I used to I'm back from the days when um, we used to refer to San Antonio Slayer as Slayer, and the other Slayer was L.A. Slayer. And yeah. it's funny how that's re- Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it was, so, so for the longest time, Shelly, you don't know this, you know, being in England, but the people here in San Antonio consider San Antonio to be the metal capital. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'll start with Carl. Is San Antonio really the metal capital? Uh, maybe at one point it was, I wouldn't say anymore, but I mean, we still have a strong underground scene, but yeah, man, I mean, in the eighties, they used to break out bands. Like they would be playing clubs in other parts of the country, but when they would come here, they would like play the arena and it would be packed like bands like Saxon or whatever. So it was really a, a place where they would try to break in new heavy metal bands, San Antonio, like basically in the States. If, if they So yeah, it was, and and it had a fucking killer underground scene too back in the day. What I noticed, us. yeah, what I noticed about just San Antonio in general, like just the regular people here, they have a high reverence for like Judas Priest and all that, you know, more so than like other cities. Like that shit. Yeah, so like Judas Priest, whenever they tour those concerts or and all that. Yeah. So, beer. What are your thoughts on uh, San Antonio being the metal capital? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, more specifically, it was called the heavy metal capital of the world. Yeah, like heavy Carl, metal. Yeah. Like Carl said, most of the, the most of the bands and tours and shows and stuff that put San Antonio on the map were bands like Saxon and the big arena rock uh, bands and the slightly smaller ones. But it, it definitely has dwindled um, just due to probably shit music and shit promoters and shit music channels and a weak new guard of the, uh, and everybody just, I mean, it went from the heavy metal capital of the world to the heavy metal cover band capital of the world. And it's fucking sad. Yeah. yeah. He's spot on on that. There's ridiculous amount of cover bands and these guys kind of think they are rock stars and it's really dumb. Yeah. Like Jesse kill and all that. Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Not throwing you guys under the bus. Yeah, Jessica. but if anybody says their name two more times, they might show up. <laughs> like <can't> <laughs> Jessica, someone talking about us. And then you have, <laughs> yeah, let's, really not, let's not take further into that. But uh, <laughs> um, so just kind of get into hot a little bit. Um, and mentioned in the introduction today that you know Carl he was in uh, quite a few bands. You know before Hod was formed. Um, he really cut his teeth, you know, bands like Indignation. And then, of course, Thorn Spawn was one of the big uh, USBM bands for a while. And, uh, um, you know, eventually that folded. Uh, Alex moved on to Mexico, started, you know, rekindled the band there. And uh, Carl, uh, you know, went forward with Hod. And I believe the reason why you wanted to start Hod was to just start <laughs> playing out more, you know, if less drama, just to fucking gig around and all that. Is that true? Yeah. Um, and, um, Play with um, a, a fucking killer drummer was going to be one of the main reasons. And yeah, play out more. Um, Shots fired. Not, not, not yeah, kind of, but not, not be fucking pigeonholed in a, a, a kind of ridiculous black metal image either. You know, fuck. I just wanted to do my own thing. 
I tell you the truth, dude, I want to fucking blast like angel corpse and shit like that. So hmm. I can, I, wasn't, I can do that in fucking thorn swan. I was listening to some of the uh, hot stuff earlier and it is like crossover. Like um, it does cross over a lot between black and death metal sort of plays around with the, the genres a bit more. You can't really put it pigeonhole it into one or the other. Correct. It's basically um too. I, I wanted to play whatever I wanted to play, and I know like bands nowadays they like they are real stuck and sticky in their one style. Yeah, but I liked old thrash too. I wanted to have some old thrash riffs. I want to play some death metal riffs. I wanted to have some maybe some black metal riffs. But as long as it, it flowed in my mind, you know, this is me personally. As long as it flowed in the song, why not? Oh yeah, definitely. Like it kind of felt at times like if early Deicide were more of a black metal band, that's kind of what it sounded like to me. But yeah, classic classic old school death metal riffs was that kind of evil atmosphere. And yeah, you're right, some early thrash as well. But yeah, it's, it's a really good mix. Thank you. Appreciate it. Cool. Yeah, so Hyde, um, I've probably seen Hyde and not lying about 20 times. And just because they're a staple here and they're gigging out, you know, every other weekend at one point, especially in the early days when you guys were getting going. I remember right when I got out of the Air Force, I had a, I was stuck in a Tokyo, like I wasn't allowed in the U.S. for a while. But as soon as the embassy there sorted out everything, um, I flew in and I, I flew in from Tokyo to Dallas to San Antonio. Oh, yeah. And I remember you guys were playing right when I fucking flew in. I went immediately to a hot show because oh, I, I, I had a scene that, you know, you had started this band while I was, you know, in the military. And I was like, fuck it. I think it was at Zombies or something like that. But uh, um, and uh, I was like, <laughs> I was just like, fuck yeah, fucking metal. And that's been your logo, like your slogan. Um, you know, fucking beers on stage is always like fucking metal, fucking metal. So do you, do you consider yourself just like metal or do you consider it like, uh, some kind of hybrid, like Shelly was saying, like angel course, which I can kind of draw that parallel, um, where you have, you know, both black and death influences in the sound, but you know, a beer on stage is like fucking metal. Do you just call it metal? Like, what do you want to, how would you pigeonhole it? Uh, bear answer that one, dude. True. um it's it's kind of it's like what carl said he he didn't want to be pigeonholed into anything and when i announce because it's kind of an amalgamation of different genres and 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 writing of of metal um that's where i said you know we we kind of just said we were going to give our middle fingers to to the labels and and we're going to do whatever the fuck it is we want we're going to play whatever the fuck it is we want and, and, and that's what we continue to do. And so it was just kind of, it was just kind of, it was, it was kind of just saying that we are not just a black metal band. We're not just a death metal band. We are not just a, you know, a thrash band. We, we, we are fucking metal. We encompass, it, it's kind of implied that we encompass all aspects of the extreme underground metal scene. And it is also a little bit of homage to Lemmy. So as he always announces every Motorhead show, we're Motorhead and we play rock and roll or whatever the hell it is. What's so. kind of interesting is that uh, I can kind of draw like the persona that Lemmy has with uh, Paul Speckman from Master. They, they, you know, just they kind of exude the same type of uh, virtues, I should say. And I, I, I think Hod 
it can kind of be fit into their at whatever like abstract kind of palace I'm building of like virtuous people and metal and you know, just, just being true, I should say. And uh, so I can definitely see like, you know, there's, you know, Lemmy and Paul Speckman said he was like, yeah, I feel like I'm Lemmy. Um, and you guys, I can, I can see that you kind of exude that same virtue, just being true uh, and not, you know, any bullshit or fakeness at all, just being yourselves and, just going up there and just gigging around and just doing what you do. So uh, very cool. So it's been seven years since you guys released your last album, The Book of Worm. Um, have you guys been working on new material? I know Carl has been working on Pius Levis. Um, how about Hod? Is there anything brewing for Hod? Oh, yeah, man. I, we got um, one song with lyrics, and I think we got about three or four other completed songs. So as um, soon as the lyrics get applied we'll be playing them <laughs> uh, hit, hit. <laughs> yep so so you guys are writing a new full length is that correct so 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 you haven't really I mean, I, I, it yet i think the plan is to um it'll be mainly new material but i think we're going to re-record if i'm if i'm not mistaken i i I might be speaking out my ass, but I think we're going to re-record the uh, the three tracks off the Limb Splitter compilation, so we can get those out to the to the right crowd that might not have gotten it if they didn't get that compilation. So it'll essentially probably be full length, um, time wise, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Uh, but there'll be three older songs re-recorded because a lot of people really have no idea about those songs. Yeah. Yeah, and and then there's a suicide will help you, which will never get re-recorded. (laughs) 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 We don't have 47 seconds to waste. So back in 2007, 14 fucking years ago, you started (laughs) out with your demo um, called "You Cry and Piss Yourself." I mean, it's just. (laughs) It was like, what, what is that in reference to? It's just people in general, like, is that like social commentary or like, what does that mean? Like you cry and piss yourself. Well, it means that you're crying and you're peeing on yourself. So there's no like deeper meaning. To <laughs> it was, it was, it was a lot. It was a line from uh, the demoralizer song, which at the time was um, kind of our little, uh, one of our most popular songs. And uh, so I just, I just pulled it out of, out of there and just stuck it as a title. I mean, how many bands were using that as their demo title back then? Either way, so yeah. well, the two thousands, early like the first ten years of the two thousands, was a fucking weird time for metal, where like death metal was super fucking confused and all that. So then you know, there's voices <laughs> there's PP on yourself, so. <laughs> It could be commentary about what metal was about back then. <coughs> what a, okay. Yeah, it's a bong hit. Okay. Um, Don't cry and piss yourself. <laughs> I'll try not to. <laughs> so the, I think the, I'm empty. The lyrical themes primarily <coughs> are about like, you know, Lovecraftian concepts and evil and destruction according to metal archives. Um, so is that more of what you're going for with the lyrical content is more like in the vein of Lovecraft. Um, I know you're a huge fan of Lovecraft. You go up to Seattle to the, the film conventions up there. Portland. 
Or Portland, yeah. Um, not, not like it's any better than Seattle, but. <laughs> uh, it's all the same. Thing. They're all liberals up there. So, yeah, yeah. so, um, <laughs> so the I would say like H.P. Uh, Lovecraft is your main influence for your lyrics. Is that correct? I would say cosmic horror. Cosmic horror. And what draws you to com- cosmic horror beer? Like, is it just like you delve into Lovecraft and these great entities that the human brain cannot comprehend? that either you know people go insane or they die um so yeah is that i mean it's 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 the whole aspect of of the unknown and then in metal is just i kind of like to there's so many people in the underground metal scene satan 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 cool i mean i i i listen to and and i like you got a band called satan's goat yeah, had a band, but yes, but <laughs> <coughs> that was, I mean, and, and you, didn't, you didn't let me finish it. I, I have no problem with, with, with satanic death and all that stuff. I, I, I love it. A lot of, you know, great bands are saying, but there's 300,000 of them out there. So w- one of the things that's going to help us stand out is if I don't sit there and rant and rave about Satan. So I found other entities of evil to incorporate and put up on a pedestal and you know uh i i think the um the cosmic horror aspect of those entities and, and, and deities and so forth i think are far more interesting than your standard everyday satanic stuff so for me it it brings a a little bit more of a challenge and um it just in, in my opinion don't fucking pee on that um <laughs> cat <laughs> <laughs> um yeah you know um fuck well there's a real psychological element to the yeah. horror as well isn't there yes yeah yeah there's you know and and just uh like i said the main i think it's the the attraction of the unknown and and, and the possibility of you know i assuming let, let's assume that these entities um are, are real and so forth as as unadvisable as it is, if I knew that I could go possibly witness one of these, knowing that I would either go insane or die, I would probably take the chance just because I want to know. You know, and, and, and the off chance that maybe I caught a glimpse like it's five, and then you know I can uh, you know tell everybody I don't know what I'm fucking saying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to see, you're going to send me down a rabbit hole and I'm talking about unintelligible (laughs) things. Well, you're delving into unintelligible aspects that, you know, abstract unintelligible concepts that you cannot really uh, rationalize. And that's what you're drawn to. So yeah, I can understand how that's hard to put into words. And, um, but yeah, it always kind of blows me away. Like, especially in the metaphysics, like in philosophy, um you're, you're, there there becomes like the numinal aspect or the platonic form which is above what we perceive and lovecraft tapped into that with this horror you know having you know deities that either they drive us insane like we just it just blows our minds so much that it drives us insane or we fucking die so <laughs> um at, yeah at the same time I, I wanted to bring something different to the table you know like i said there's a million and one satanic metal bands out there 
Carl's already been in a, in a satanic black metal band. And it's just, you know, I, I just, I didn't want to be the, the same, point. I didn't, on top of it being stuff I'm interested in, I didn't want to do the same old shit with a new band that's trying to break molds and stereotypes or whatever. I mean, not trying, we're just doing our own thing as opposed to following the, the template of everybody Checking else. all the boxes of, of opinion. That's popular yeah, right you know. now. Yeah. Well, I think one of the allures of Morbid Angel was because they tapped into a lot of Lovecraftian stuff too. And uh, so that like, Everyone considers like Morbid Angel, you know, more of an artsy death metal type of band, you know, especially Bluster is sick. Um, but, you know, you look at Deicide, their, their contemporaries in Florida, it was just like this most violent, aggressive death metal ever. So you had like the really aggressive side in Florida and you had the artsy side, which the artsy side, you know, was of course Morbid Angel delving into these really abstract themes like Lovecraft and all of that. Um, kind of cool like i love lovecraft i mean lovecraft i think has gained much more momentum the past 30 years than perhaps while he was alive like he was really oh for sure he was he was nobody knew who he was when he was alive well yeah he's been kind of resurrected by you know games like call of cthulhu and a lot of graphic novels and yeah definitely based on his ideas because his stories they're they're very short. A lot of them you can't really base a feature length film on them, but people have yeah. tried. But he did yeah. like three full length uh, little novel things: uh, Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, Mountains of Madness, and I'm drawing a blank on the third. I'm not going to rack my brain on it, but but yeah, most the majority of you know ninety eight percent of his stuff is a short story. Um, but yeah, it is it is interesting from a, a metal point of view because music can be quite an abstract form of communication anyway and Lovecraft's writing kind of lends itself to that and that aspect where you were talking earlier on about the curiosity even though you know that these beings will drive you insane or kill you or you know drive you to kill yourself there's still that underlying curiosity of what well, I still want to know and that's kind of he taps into that in his stories as well yeah, well, yeah. That's, usually, that's usually what killed most of the protagonists of this story is their scientific curiosity of they wanted to know and you know before since uh jason mentioned the lord of the rings reference that uh, it's kind of like when the dwarves dug too deep on the balrog curiosity eventually led to their yeah. demise and doom yeah <laughs> so be it they knew <laughs> So the only Lord of the Rings book that I have actually read is the Silmarillion, and I only made it like in four or five chapters into it, but with like Malkor and all that, or Melkor, um, I, I just love like how the, the universe was created in Lord of the Rings. Like, I guess I'm a more of a, uh, a lore nerd than just like a formal nerd. Like, I really like the, the backing behind the stories, like how all these elements come together. And uh, Tolkien had uh, phenomenally written. It's like you're reading the Bible, like in Genesis. Like that Cimmerillion is pretty much that, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a creation yeah. story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the way history. he did it was like the, the, the contending melodies. You're, you're like, hey, I just uh, mastered physics. Can I go learn algebra now? You're going backwards, bro. <laughs> 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 I read the Cimmerillion first. Show off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was really drawn to that because you know the lore aspect, but the way it was written, it was very fucking beautiful, and the way like uh, the reality is formed, 
Um, uh, I, <coughs> tell me if I pronounce this wrong. Elevator. He, uh, you know, he has this main melody. Elevator, I think it's how it's pronounced. Or whatever, whatever. Yeah. Uh, he has this main melody, and it, it was like Melkor, or I guess whatever his name was before it was Melkor, um, or Melkor was the first. But uh, um, <coughs> he had a contending melody. So that's like the Christian story of like God versus Satan. And then, uh, you know, God you know, had his third melody and Melkor went to the earth to corrupt it. And I, th- I was really drawn to that. You know, the lore aspect was like phenomenal. Like it hasn't really been explored in that much, you know, like that deep into a fiction like that. Um, I, I guess Dune's another one um, that has a, a lot of a great lore to it. And Conan the Barbarian, um, which you're also a fan of. Um, yep. So uh, I, I've read a little bit of Conan myself, probably more than Lord of the Rings, and uh, I love Robert E. Howard's like prose and like I mean, granted he wrote it for like teenagers, but it's still it's like timeless stuff. Really great adventures and the short stories, even though they're only like ten pages. Where did you hear he wrote it for teenagers? It's not necessarily highbrow, if you want to say it like that, or. Um, well, it's, well, it's, sword, like, it's sword and sorcery, but I wouldn't say it was written for teenagers. What was Wait. it written for? Popes and all that type of. <laughs> well, yeah, it was, it, was pulp, it was pulp fiction, the pulp books, and you know, and uh, weird tales, and yeah, and, it was uh, in the same publications as Lovecraft, weren't they? They were friends, yeah. and they yeah, sort of based, based their mythology on the same. Yeah, Clark Ashton Smith, Robert E. Howard, Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't so, the most challenging works i should say but they was very imaginative and that's what i really like about conan like the i forget the story's name but the one that really stuck out with me of all the short stories was the one where uh you know conan he's like breaking into a palace to steal some jewel or something and he comes across the the, yeah the elephant and the elephant turns into this cosmic you know deity pretty much like alien deity Mm -hmm. And yeah. just shoots out and all. I fucking love the way he wrote that. I mean, it was beautiful. And yeah, it's a great we, story. We really don't have uh, you know a lot of new writers like that nowadays that they're able to keep the 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 lore, the the imaginative side of it, as well as you know fleshing out the characters and having a great prose to their writing. It's like no one actually has the uh, the complete package nowadays, like you know Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard did. So. It's kind of sad on that aspect, but so Sword kind of- Sorcery is kind of taking a back seat. Um, there hasn't been a lot of prominent writers in it. Um, there are still some independent publications, though, uh, that you can you can get that have up and coming and, and newer authors. Uh, one of them that I remember off the top of my head is called Sorcerer's Skull, and it's like 10 15 bucks to, to order it. And uh, it's it's a compilation of new authors doing sword and sorcery. So it's it's still there, but it's kind of a niche market these days. Well, I was going to say, do you think it's with the, the advances of technology, maybe imagination is getting short-ended? Or There's no? that too, I think, yeah. I mean, I don't th- I mean, that's the problem with Hollywood. You can obviously tell that none of them have read a book in fucking 20 years. Um, I think as well, there's like, there's more outlets for different forms of creativity, <laughs> like, you know, online gaming or um you know much more like independent stuff there's not just you wouldn't you, people don't buy publications as much as they used to yeah that's definitely we when i was still working at the record shop we had cut down we had cut out almost completely the uh the printed um news 
you know, like magazines and so forth, because the the plants were getting shut down and and nobody was buying them. It's all because everyone was doing online, um, you know, their blogs or their online sites and, and stuff like that. And like everyone's doing Kindle for book reading and all that other shit. And I, I hate that. I want to have the product in my hand. Yeah, you know? I'm the same way. I want to read about stuff in my hand, not on my screen. Yeah, definitely. How do you feel about that having a website, Shelly? <laughs> well, I, I have a website, but I, I'm always encouraging people to buy the physical media. Like all the albums I review, I link to the band's page where they sell their merch. And I'm I'm always buying stuff that I really like. I buy physical books. I, I have a huge CD and record collection. Um, yeah, no, I wasn't saying, you know, all websites are bad, you know. Yeah, it's, definitely it's, not saying that. Oh. Yeah. So, so quit starting shit, Jason. No. <laughs> Shots fired. Shots fired again, but this time towards. <laughs> so, beer. You had a band called Satan's Goat, which I looked on Metal Archives, and it says you have performed vocals, drums, and piano. You have to show yep. the piano sometime. What the fuck's going on? It was it was the the last two keys on the far left, and I went ding 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 ding. But since I did that throughout the whole recording, I credit myself for playing piano. All right. So yeah, gotta really, you know, live. So I don't need to show you anymore, do I? No, no, no. Okay, cool. Probably don't want to see that. Good, good. <laughs> so I might forget how to play it. Anyway. Uh, you know, obviously <laughs> you mentioned that uh, the lyrics and hide, the, you know, there's a great Lovecraft influence, but that's more along the lines of just your interest in uh the media that you like to consume, like Conan, you know, Lord of the Rings and things like that. Um so you know, would you consider yourself a nerd? Like, honestly, like, I know you're into board games <laughs> and uh, you're into wrestling. I mean, how I just want to kind of wrap my mind around, like, how your creative process is. Like, it's like, okay, I read a Lovecraft story or something like that. And I just played some Dungeons and Dragons. It's time to write some fucking lyrics. So, like, tell me how you, you know, approach the, the creative process. I don't. You don't? All. You smoke no, some weird or something? I, I um, <clears throat> usually if um if I know I need to write um if I know I need to write something I, I don't listen to music I go to long periods of time I won't listen I mean I'll listen to you know the classical station or the classic country station in the van when I'm traveling but I, I, I try not to let any outside influence in and um, when it comes to Hod well actually all the bands that I've always written for I like to have the music first because. The song, it, to me, the music is more important than what I have to say. Like, I, I realize that the, the vocals become part of the song and, and, and complete it and make it a whole. But in the end, do we really give a shit what those fucking vocalists are saying? Because I personally don't. I mean, they could be cool lyrics, but I'm, I'm not, you know, it's whatever. So, but I like to have the music. So I take the music and I'll play the songs in a casual manner until they're stuck in my head. And the song will tell me what it's going to be about and it'll pull the song will pull something out of the back of my head that bam this i mean i've written whole songs based on you know one-liners from a tv show or something in, in old bands and it's just something just make it click one, one one riff one little hook or something be like bam that's that's that subject title i don't know how or why but that's that's just how i do it that's so. Uh, so we have a, a question on the chat from Pete Brown who asks, uh, where did the name Hod come from? Uh, <laughs> we were, 
brainstorming. Just, you know, we told everybody, you know, come up with some ideas. And um, we did. And some of them were not so good. And some of them were, man, some of them were actually already taken. And I'd stumbled across the story of Hadur um, briefly somewhere. And, and um, where, you know, he was, uh, he was killed by his, his brother, Baldur and all the other stuff and so forth. And I told Carl, I said, the, the anglicized anglicized version of it was hod just h-o-d instead of h-o-d-r h-o-d-u-r and i told him i said it's not very catchy but the backstory is really cool and it broke down to nobody else you know all the other ideas just kind of pittered out and we're just like man and so we just had hot you know we'll just fuck it we'll just take hot and we just took hot <laughs> to be honest would- like naming bands is a f- like it's a shitty task because I'm taken. It is terrible. But uh, hard, hard is a pretty hard one to Google after bands like Death and stuff. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, it's definitely yeah, it's hard to find your material out there. And I, I've looked on Spotify, and there's like a thousand things named Hot on there, which <laughs> a lot of like yeah, it's associated rap. with a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, Jamaican rap is actually the most popular. <laughs> um, huh. But uh, but yeah, there's a cool like backstory to the name, like the the blind son of Odin, and Frigg, um, and he was tricked by the guy and guided by Loki into shooting a mistletoe arrow, which was to slay the otherwise invulnerable Balder, um, the soul thing that could kill him. <laughs> yeah, I just got that from Wikipedia real quick. But uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm a total dunce where it comes to Norse mythology. Like, I can talk philosophy, classical music, and metal, of course, but not uh, not Norse mythology. So, uh, so it was really cool that you guys are having some new material in the works now that you're working on, and it looks like you're going to do a new, uh, a full length, you know, eventually. And uh, what I thought was really cool, like, uh, when you guys released your first album, uh, Serpent, I believe it was called, or, yeah, Serpent, um, it was, it came out on like Ibex Throne, it was Ibex like Moon, a, I, Ibex Moon, which yeah. was a John McKinty's or McEntee's label, I should say, McEntee, like Mac and Cheese, John. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so it came out on his record label. So I don't believe that label's around anymore, right? It's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you, are you still in contact with the incantation guys at all? Or well, I, I talked to John here and there. Yeah, but not like on a regular basis. But yeah, we talk here and there. You know, keep up. What's up? Cool. Um, so you landed that deal early on, and you released the book of the worm. Which label did that come out on? Arctic Media. Oh, that was Julian's label. Yeah, Julian from <laughs> Colt Azazel. He brought the rights of that label. I forget from someone. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that one folded too. <laughs> yeah. Every label we're on, we break them, I guess. I don't you know. Break the label. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so do you have any new label you're talking with right now about the, the new album or anything like that? Or you're just gonna shop it around? Uh but I mean small talk, nothing major, but I'm sure we'll find somebody cool. that'll release it. But um no, we're not like because uh, hey, so, we actually you know write the songs and get all that taken care of before we even really talk about signing or putting it out with somebody 
yeah, was, I, I really like that. It's just, you know, create the music and just be all creative. And then you do the, uh, the epiphenomenal side of that later, like the byproduct of creating that music, like finding a label and a release or something like that, which is really cool. It means that you're more focused on the creativity and creating music rather than just like, okay, what label am I going to work with now? Blah, 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 blah. And all the social aspects of it. It's more just, you know, it's like, fuck it. Let's just create music. And then what comes of it comes of it pretty much. Yeah. I think that's the best way your music should come first and not worry about who's going to put it out or, you know, and and you know, how these nowadays like hip labels come and go like a snap of a finger. So I don't know who fucking cares who puts it out as long as it gets put out. <laughs> yeah. And so Shelly had saw the other day was a, an article written by Neil Jameson from Krieg um, talking about pretty much like the death of like vinyl for like smaller, smaller labels because the bigger labels and like Walmart and shit is uh, putting in their orders, which is vastly larger than the label orders. And they're really this turning like vinyl turnaround time into like a year and a half to two years for some now. And uh, yeah. he wrote that uh, article just like, like what's going to happen to the music industry now? Like it's, it's just going to be castrated. You know, well, he was like, saying like, it's the, it's the backlash of the vinyl revival. So a lot of people, a lot of new people are getting into vinyl, which looks like a good thing, but it means that it's not sort of underground vinyl or independent labels. It's Taylor Swift or Adele. That and then, well, and then sorry. Well, I was going to say their releases are obviously clogging up all of the suppliers because they're you know they're printing millions of copies, whereas smaller labels can't get a look in. Um, uh, sort of you know producers of vinyl records because they want to print a run of a few hundred or a thousand or whatever. Well, yeah, it's a shame because if the people who really did keep vinyl alive were the underground labels and you know stuff of that nature, bigger huge labels weren't pressing vinyl. But now, yeah, it's a trend to buy vinyl. They obviously get the big orders in and get it's, top priority and fucked up everything. It's fucking awful because even two years ago, uh, when I was still at the record store. Um, <coughs> every every old classic album and, and every new album is being released. Uh, on top of it, backing up stuff with just orders and stuff everyone is now being released in in three to four different fucking colors and it's all those fucking asshole new fucking collectors the ones that call it vinyls vinyls everything <laughs> vinyls fucking vinyls. fucks <laughs> don't miss that anyway um but yeah so there's there's you know that's also taking up shelf space you got five copies of the same fucking album just because it's different fucking colors and and then they started doing record store day which is good for the independent record stores, I, I, but majority, I mean, it, it has nothing to offer the underground or the metal scene. Uh, a, a few, you know, reissues or special releases like from Slayer or, you know, whatever other, you know, kind of main, you know, some King Diamond here and there, stuff like that, a Motorhead. Um, it really offers nothing else, but those, <clears throat> those are taking new people and, and, and other smaller smaller labels are just the big labels putting in orders for these specific just one release time albums and shit and, and it's like you know you said Shelly, everything's just clogged up it's just clogged there's just too much shit from the from the bigger people and, and just the trend is, is killing it, itself you know, and, it's, you know what drives me crazy too is like um 
all these new modern albums that are you know being pressed on vinyl they're just basically cds on vinyl because to master something back in the day from vinyl you had to, to do it a certain way and yeah. nowadays it's just you're, you're buying a cd pressed on vinyl yeah they're um they usually recorded digitally yeah and then pressed onto vinyl not recorded analog which is how it would have been done back in the 60s 70s 80s or whatever mm-hmm. so i mean i guess you can go pay you know $30 for that, or you can go get the CD, which sounds better and a lot cheaper. I mean, I'm I'm a dedicated buyer of CDs. Like, I started collecting in the early 2000s when it was, like, the, the dominant format, um, and I kind of stuck with it. And I think metal really lends itself to that because it's got a dedicated following, but its following is not quite big enough to resist some of these trends. So you're talking about, you know, more mainstream interest in vinyl or other formats. And metal is kind of, it's always had that dedicated following of people willing to buy stuff, but we're now kind of suffering at the hands of a what I'd call tourists in a way. People that just, well, in the in the article that Jason referenced, he calls, gets quite disparaging about vinyl collectors that want to That's buy the ones with the fancy colours and have all their friends over for coffee and <laughs> listen to some vinyls, <laughs> not fucking records. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, metal has always been... A, very resilient to that because the fan base is so dedicated, but it, the fan base isn't quite big enough to resist some of these trends from like a financial perspective. Yeah, cool. I mean, I think I mean I see it now. You know, the kids, you know, they're they're buying vinyl and they want cassettes and all that. And I, I get the labels got to do what they got to do to survive, but I don't know, man. I guess as long as you buy something instead of this MP3, it, that's <laughs> I guess we should be happy. Oh, yeah. yeah, like, I'm being disparaging about us, but yeah, I definitely agree. If you're, or just supporting the artists that you you are following in some way, then, yeah, that's better than just, well, yeah, Spotify as well and MP3s, whatever. whatever. Yeah. yeah, but the, the article that you're referencing, uh, Shelley, that Neil Jameson wrote, um, he was kind of talking about, like, the death of physical media, pretty much, and which I, do, I definitely see, like, he's, all, he's calling the the rejuvenation of CDs to just be like a trend now and cassette tapes and all that. Um, So, I I mean, granted, these mediums are always probably going to exist in some fashion, but once there's a shortage of uh, bands at our level, like, you know, myself, you know, Todd and all that, um, trying to release music, it could be harder for us to actually do that. And the price is actually going to go go up on those releases, um, you know, what used to be like a, a $10 CD is now a $20 CD because obviously, you know, there's like a material shortage here um, now due to the pandemic and, um, and there's an oversaturation of like uh, big companies and corporations now like Walmart, Walmart's doing fucking vinyl, which is fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, well, if you forgive me, but I, I, I think he was being a bit hyperbolic in that article. I don't think it's the death of physical media. I think it's hard times. Don't get me wrong, but People were talking about the death of the music industry in the early 2000s because of file sharing and stuff. And I do remember the price of CDs going up in shops to 20 quid, like, you know, $25 or whatever, and thinking this is now far too expensive for me to collect because I, you know, didn't have much money at the time. So it was like, well, of course people are going to download. But now I could go on Bandcamp and get CDs, $10, $15, and I'd gladly pay that. I'd gladly pay a bit more, to be honest. 
Um, I think we're definitely going through a difficult period, but I, I think it's too soon to say it's the death of physical media per se. I think just it's a bit hard to predict the long-term <clears throat> trends. But, it's definitely yeah. the slowdown of physical media, but I don't think it's the death at this point. It might just be more of an expensive hobby going forward. You know, the expensive hobby was back in the um, mid <laughs> to late nineties, buying all the import black metal CDs uh, from like Japan and shit for the book or just even from Europe. Yeah. Yeah. They're like 20, $25 sometimes. Yeah. So, Carl, um, we just talked about Neil Jameson from Krieg. You had actually played with Krieg for a while, didn't you? I No, I, I did a show with them at the um, Sacrifice. Oh, the was, sac- I looked yeah. up Metal Archives and it was like, live session member for Krieg. Yeah, that's that's the show, probably. I did one show oh, with cool. them, which was fun. Yeah, Neil, Neil was a cool dude. Yeah, so uh, people who aren't really familiar with the Sacrifice of Nazarene Child Fest, um, that was a really big festival here in San Antonio, Texas. Granted, I was too young for that when it really started getting going with like Judas Iscariot and Absu and all that being on the bill. But it was like the biggest like gathering of like the USBM scene back then. And, uh, you know, which was backed by like Alex from Thornspawn and you know what you were from Thornspawn and blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah. Um not to cause any drama or anything, but sure. it was it was a really uh, a big festival. Um it was um <clears throat> back in the very beginning, it was a full band effort. I would say that for sure. Um just you know, Mike Link contributed, I contributed, Alex contributed, everybody worked together to make it something. I see. It, either by contacting bands or putting up money to get them down or whatever. It was a full band thing. Yeah. I only saw the last one, which was in Houston. And I think like imprecation played and all that, but um, there, there was quite a few people who flew in just to see it. But, you know, I look at the old flyers of uh, sacrifice and child fest. And that was like, that was literally the USBM scene. It, back then, yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, you can't really paint it any other way. You had Judas Iscariot, Black Witchery, Jesus, Krieg, um, Demon Sea. Marcus came a- down. I remember Marcus from uh, Sarcophagus and all that came down to play one of them. Oh, did he? I forgot which band he was in. He's a great guy, too, by the way. Yeah, I met um, him in Chicago. Yeah, very cool. Uh, he was in Commandant. Uh, I think it was just Force of Impaled. Yeah, for some yeah. help. Yeah. I, I I always used to tell Andy I still like sarcophagus more than Judas Iscariot, <laughs> <laughs> just to get under his skin. Well, and I Judas did. Iscariot, like I had a uh, Paul Ledney on from this pod, you know, on this podcast, and he was in the you know, Pro Fanatica and all that. And he was like talking about like all the Dark Throne clone bands, and I think uh, Judas Iscariot kind of fell by the wayside in that you know conversation because he, he really did take the template from Dark Throne quite a bit. Uh, but it was new to America. Um, I'm not saying he wrote bad music whatsoever. Just saying, kind of the the template was, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't deny Dark it was Dark Throne inspired for sure. Yeah, very cool. Um, so, moving on to the next subject here, it looks like we have about six more minutes, and so we should definitely uh, cover your other band, um, Pius Levis. Um, so, what I noticed about Pius Levis, yeah, Necro Inferno. 
Yeah, Sworn Ghoul and yourself. So this is like this is Thorn Spawn without Black Thorn, pretty much. Um, (laughs) It is, it is. Yeah, I mean, we're in Thorn Spawn, and now it's a new band. So, what was the 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 rationale behind starting this new uh, a band, uh, Pius Levis? All right. Well, I have to go on record. It was Nickel Inferno and Sworn Ghoul's (laughs) band first, and uh, and they had. made most of the material from the first album if not all of it i think i just came in and played some solos but it was their their project on that and um so they had it going and i and they were peaking at um kind of low profile and i didn't even know and then they're like hey come over you know you know hang out and i hung out and they put on uh, music i didn't know what it was and they're like hey you like this i'm like yeah it's pretty fucking killer you know it's me and mike's new project and i was like what and he was like, yeah, and then, uh, just kind of, we all started talking and, you know, in Thornspawn, I always enjoy jamming with fucking, um, Sworn Ghoul, Necro Infernal, but let's just call him Mike and Mike, the real yeah, name. Mike I always, yeah, Mike and Link. I enjoy, I always fucking, I jammed with Link for a long time. And that was one of the things I always missed was jamming with them guys because that they were, it was always killer. So how I tall just, is Link? He's like six, four, six, five. I think he's six, four. Oh. And then how yeah. tall are you? Six one. Oh, because like whenever you look at picture or videos like old Thorn Spawn, it's like there's these two towering guys on stage, and you're continuing that with uh Pius Levis, which is really cool. It's good to have that intimidating aspect to the the physical aspect of performing, you know, visually for the crowd. I think it's really cool where you know you, you could be considered intimidating with the you know, the metal get up with the spikes and the leather or whatever and the corpse paint, you know, and I think it's really cool that you're still jamming with uh, Necro, Inferno, and Sworn Ghoul. Yeah. Um, and I remember I was in your jam room one time and he definitely mentioned that he was uh, Italian. So is uh, Sworn Ghoul Italian? Like, he, he looks kind of not completely Italian to me, but... <laughs> yeah, I think he has some Italian in his family. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think he's full blood Italian or anything like okay. that. Just yeah, but there's sure. Italian in his blood. Yeah, but definitely cool guys. And uh, so you guys, you know, they, they started Pius Levis, and then you come into the foray, you know, just being acquainted with them. And now it's like uh, another real band now. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a fully you? functioning okay. thing. Yeah, so, and uh, we will be having a, uh, a Pius Levis song playing when we're done here today on this podcast. So people can check that out. It's a rough track. It's not professionally recorded yet, but uh, it's very chaotic. Like we're talking about like how Hod may not be that different from Angel Corpse um, with, you know, drawing in the black and death metal influences. Pius Levis is a more violent version of that. So I'm, Really looking forward to what you guys are doing. We'll we will be sharing that track today. It's a rough track of yeah. music. So fuck yeah. Looking forward to what you guys are doing. Are you guys writing a full album or it's gonna be like an EP? What, what you're hearing there, it's gonna be from a split album. Um it will be um full length of an album. It's with a band from Germany called Omega Vortex. And uh, I think they're contributing five songs and we're contributing five songs. Well, I see. Yeah. So what that I think the song is Luciferian Stronghold. And um yeah, just to clarify, Hod and Pius Levis are two totally different things. And um so when people 
say they or do they sound like or or do they they do not in my mind i, I i'm in totally different mindsets when i with those well bands. your style i mean hear your style in both of those but what i get from pious is that it's much more chaotic and violent rather than hot it might be more orderly if that makes sense i could go with that yeah i mean that's kind of the thing i was going to say after listening to both bands is like um hard you can you can sort of hear the the organized death metal element to it where there's a very structured kind of um element to a lot of the tracks whereas Pius Levis is yeah it's pure chaos by comparison <laughs> like it is violent stuff it's still obviously there's still a lot of riffs in there. there's a lot of like um stuff you can latch onto but it is really like abrasive and violent by comparison it's very very different beast as far as I can tell yeah it's coming from um the I would say the 80s early 90s black death before things kind of separated so you know necrovore and all that yeah necrovore the morbid angel demos era and um yeah stuff of that name you know i mean that type of genre shit very cool very cool looking forward to uh you know hearing what you do with that especially with uh you know doing that split and uh you know hearing a full-fledged studio tracks like uh you know, I, I've seen some of the, the earlier Pius Levis, and it just seemed really chaotic. I mean, it's in a good way. Like, you know, it's just like really violent and abrasive, you know, metal, um, old school metal. And it's really good to see that you're in the fold now and you're you're helping to mold that into a more professional package where it's not as feral, but it's still feral as fuck. But I think you bring a little bit more, uh, like, I, I was listening to the riffs you know, in the song that the rough track that we'll be playing on this podcast. And there's like almost like a Carrie King, you know, just going all over the fretboard type of solo, but the riffs underneath it, you know, and it's really drawn out. It's very, very orderly. So it has a chaotic aspect on top of the riffs, but there's still like order, you know, in the foundation was really cool. I definitely. Yeah. I think they, those guys are like the Kings of the total freaking all balls out chaos. And I brought a little more, structure to it i guess you know <laughs> like china china keep that fucking flame under control a little yeah i know necro inferno has always been huge in the incantation and you know um i remember you know he's a great guy so really good guys and pious levis which is separate from hod by the way so uh just one <laughs> last thing <laughs> yeah it, i mean yeah they are it's two different beats you can't don't try to lump them together or something. I'm not. No. Yeah. Pod's definitely different. Um, and uh, so Goat Throne Records has actually released something very old and archaic and ancient. Um, <laughs> times past of the San Antonio scene uh, project called uh, Indignation. Um, and I believe you're, you did that from 1991 through 95 and recorded a few demos. So it was actually done i would say like late very late 80s oh really yeah and i think i i was in the band maybe up to 92 maybe 93 but yeah me and aka sworn goal link um were in that band we started it and um with um, a guy named matt hernandez um pretty much right after my old hardcore band kind of dissolved we wanted i wanted to do a death metal band and those guys were my bros and we just started jamming and 
the next Ooh. thing you know, you know, we got members and we're um, recording a demo. So that's some, you know, really old school death metal um, that people can check out on Go Throne Records, which was way before you even did Thorn Spawn. And what was that hardcore band name? Uh, Cerebral Distortion. Which one did you have Jeff Tandy in, just out of curiosity? Oh, no, Jeff Tandy? He, I I was in his band with his high school buddies um, for a short stint called Diabolus. Oh, Diabolus. Yeah. What does that sound like? I've never heard it before. That is total incantation, immolation, worship from back then. Oh. Yeah, if you're into that, that's that's what that is. You know, I'll have to hear it sometime. I've never heard it before. Um. Cool. So do you guys have any closing thoughts? Um, beer, we haven't heard from you in a while because we were talking about other things, but beer, uh, give me the full essence of beer that you can summarize in like four words. <laughs> uh, like metal? Uh, like, what is <laughs> Nah. <laughs> nah. All right. Cool. Well, uh carl do you have any final things you want to say it's like um you have all these different fires burning you know you have the pious levis going you have new hot material working on and uh you had your old demos released from indignation so um any final thoughts like for the podcast today before we wrap up uh just if anybody's interested just track it down and listen to it if you Hey, that's really what we're here for. So yeah, that's it. Just track it down and listen to it. If you like it, buy it. Yeah. What I always noticed with Hod is that you get the true deal. Like we had a uh, Paul Speckman on and that guy is as true as they come. And we have Hod now today. These guys are just true. They're, they're true. The old guard, they, they, there's no fakeness to them whatsoever. You get what you get with them, which is, you know, true, honest, you know, musical expression. Um, so I've always held these guys in really high esteem and uh, I, I hope the best for them. Like I'll definitely, you know, be at their future shows and all of that and uh, definitely be checking them out, you know, just keeping tabs on them because I've known them forever and I always held them in a, the highest esteem. So uh, um, it's great to have you guys on today on this program. And uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us on, Jason. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. And uh, so thank you for listening in today. We will be wrapping up the show and we will be playing uh, one Hod song and one Pius Levis song. Cheers. Burning
You just heard the song The Smoke Will Rise by the band Hod. Next is a rough track from Pius Levis. (laughs) 